This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Fionn McCool, Cullen, Deirdre, all the sorrows grow on your wail. From giants right down to fairies, about the trooping and solitary, and ghosts who are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, the Merrow Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore or mythology, we retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, the culture and the history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olahan. I'm your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode 218 of Fireside. Today on the Irish Storytelling Podcast, we have an Irish folk tale of Tygal Cain and the corpse which is appropriately enough how I feel right now. But before we get down to that, we do have a couple of things. Uh, if you enjoy this, if this is your first time listening to Fireside, you're very welcome. Listen to this podcast. This is a good uh, sample episode, I would say. And if you enjoy it, why don't you head back all the way through the episodes and through the years, back to episode one, and see what we've been building up to over the journey so far. And if you're a returning listener, as always, thank you so, so, so much for your continued support. All the usual ways you can support the podcast. You can follow me over on Instagram at Fireside Bard. Share this on your story. Share this with your friends. You can email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com. Those are the two best places to get in touch with me if you have any questions, queries, or if you just want to say hello. I love hearing from you all. And if you want to support the podcast in a more direct way, you can buy my book, Garden Sea and Neo Myth of Home, in paperback from the Headstuff website or in Kittle version from Amazon. And we can ship the paperback all around the world. It's still the greatest joy doing that, sending that off around uh, abroad across the world. Um, you can also support the podcast on Headstuff Plus by joining headstuffpodcast.com, at headstuffpodcast.com rather, uh, where you can gain bonus access access to bonus material, not just for Fireside, but for all of the podcasts on the Headstuff Podcast Network. Those are the cells out of the way. All of the links are in the description below. I am coming to you. I am delighted to say I've moved back up to Dublin. Um, I had been staying at home in Wicklow uh, just for the last few months after getting back from tour. And it's lovely to be back up in Dublin again. I haven't lived in the city since... 2021 uh, and it's great to be back the city is alive again and there's a fantastic buzz around um, and I'm working a huge amount which is why I now just have this permanent state of kind of half horse half laryngitis I think I'm going to be speaking like Tom Waits or Ronnie Drew by the end of the summer which arguably wouldn't be the worst thing in the world um, but yeah it's mostly um, I've been mostly playing Irish music around the city and uh, giving literary tours and it's been a it's been a crazy crazy couple of months and especially june so far and um, from going from going for asking asking people to give me any gig during the week which didn't seem that long ago 
to now I have about 35 or 36 gigs across June. So a lot of the days it's two a day and I'm in the middle of a, a run, about a 21, 22 day straight run. Uh, my next day off will actually be on Midsummer, which is fantastic. I will never have celebrated Midsummer as heartily as I will when I have the day off this time. And I'm very happy. I'm delighted. It's great. It's hugely satisfying work playing the music of my culture and um, reading from the literature of my culture. And I love it so much. Um, and now that I'm back up in Dublin, it'll improve my energy levels as well. Uh, because the commute was really uh, up and down to Wicklow was really starting to take its toll on me. The only thing now I'm trying to get back to is more of a consistent voice, uh, especially for the podcast, because I don't like recording the podcast when I feel vocally it's not up to the standards that I would like. Uh, So I hope this is sounding okay to you, uh, to you, dear listener. Um, And so appropriately for my energy levels, um, so I'm actually, I'm recording two episodes today, and I'm going to release two today. Um, because there have been a couple of uh, weeks that have been missed in the last couple of months uh, due to immense personal difficulties that I was going through, um, which I'm mostly at the other side of now, very thankfully. Um, But I do want to get back up to where we should be because we should be at 225 episodes by the end of June. Um, So I would like to approach that so that we get to 250 by the end of this year, Uh, and then to 300 after that um, the following year. Um, But, so with that in mind, the story, the first story for this week is one of the old Irish folk tales. It's actually a very early tale from Irish Fairy and Folk Tales by W.B. Yeats um, in one of the beautiful editions that I have of that. This is, when I discover a story like this, as you would imply from a title such as The Corpse, um... These are the times I go, these are stories I probably should save for around Halloween or things like that, uh, you know, that have a kind of spooky, eerie quality to them. But when I find a story that I'm just, especially when I'm looking for them, you know, for the following week or whatever, like sometimes you try and log them away, but sometimes a story just grabs you and I just wanted to tell this and adapt this so much straight away. Um, And... So I feel, because even if it has a spooky nature to it, there is a, an all-year-round nature to Irish folklore as well, and it, it isn't just the realm of, of sound. And it isn't even a sound story. It just has a kind of macabre, gothic flavor to it. So why not in June? Why not celebrate a corpse in June? And so we will, of course, chat more afterwards, but this is the tale of the corpse on Fireside. The Corpse In the O'Rourke County, the Ridge County, the Wild Rose County of lovely Leitrim, there lived a grown man named Tyg O'Kane. Tyg's father was rich and spoiled his son, and Tyg grew up to live the life of the rover. He enjoyed sport gambling and courting pretty fair maids in the morning bright and early. He enjoyed anything, in fact, that did not require him to work. Tyke's father was concerned, but as he had no other children, he left his one and only heir to his own devices. 
It was said around Leitrim that Tygo Cain had the love of every girl in the breast of his shirt. He would rarely sleep in his own bed, instead spending all his days and nights drinking, gambling, and womanizing. Most of these nocturnal activities never got back to his father, but one day... Tyg's father heard that Tyg had ruined the character of a young woman in a neighboring village. This he could not ignore. He summoned his son and told him, I have watched you laze and booze and squander everything that I have given you. I have been blindsided by my love, but no more. You will marry that girl, or I will disinherit you forever. I'll give you this night to consider. Tyg was baffled by this confrontation. He did love Mary, the girl in question, and did in fact have the intention of marrying her. But not tomorrow. He wanted to enjoy a few more years of roving and playing cards and shifting young ones. But Tyg also knew his father to be a man of his word. He would not change his mind easily. Also... As he had been spoiled, Tygo Cain was proud and stubborn. He didn't like, no, he physically could not be told what to do. So Tygo Cain had a lot to think about. So he went out on one of his Cayleys, his night visits. The moon was half full, the night sky clear, and there was not a breath of wind in the air. So Tyg walked pleasantly for a long time. For miles he did not encounter another soul. But then he began to hear the sound of voices. They sounded numerous, but quiet. Even as he moved closer, the voices did not seem to get much louder. Tig tried to work out what language they were speaking. It's not Irish. It's not English. And they can't be Frenchmen. Suddenly, it dawned on Tygo Cain that these were the voices of the other folk. Hardly had he reached that conclusion when twenty tiny men came over the hill carrying a dead body. Not one of the living men, if the fairies can be called living, was taller than three feet. But the corpse was of a mortal man for sure, large and heavy and dead as a coffin nail. Well, Tygo Cain, said one of the men, aren't you glad to see us? Tyg said nothing. He knew better than to engage with the other folk. I said, aren't you glad to see us, Tygo Cain, said the little man again. Once more, Tyg stayed silent with fear. Tygo Cain, speak to us and tell us you are happy to see us. When Tyg did not answer a third time, The little men looked at each other with devious and gleeful smiles on their faces. Brothers, Tygo Cain has no words for us, so now we can make him do as we please. Tyg, you are leading a wicked life, and we have come to make a slave of you. Now lift that corpse. Even in his fear, Tyg remained proud and stubborn. I will not, he said. 
Tig will not willingly lift the corpse, said the fairy, so we will make him. At this, Tigokane ran from the spot, sprinting away from his she-captors. But the fairies gave chase and were not long catching up with him. Some grabbed his hands and other grabbed his feet, and the fairies pinned Tigokane to the ground. Then they dumped the dead body on his back and allowed the lad to stand up. Tig tried to launch the corpse off him, but the arms of the dead man fastened around his neck and the legs gripped his waist. It was as if the corpse returned to life just to fasten as a backpack on Tygo Kane. Now, Tig, said the leader of the trooping fairies, do not refuse us again. We want you to take this corpse to the church of Temple Demus and bury it there. Although, perhaps the body will not be allowed to be buried there. Maybe there will be another body who will not share their grave with this man. If so, you must carry the body to Carrick Ad Vicoris and bury it in the churchyard there. If not there, in Temple Ronan. Or in Logfather. Or perhaps even Kilbregia. I can't say for certain where this corpse will be welcome, but it must be buried this night. If you refuse, you will regret it for the rest of your short mortal life. You have eight hours before dawn. If the corpse is not buried by then, you fail. Tygo Cain agreed to do as the fairies commanded. He swore in that moment that if he ever survived this ordeal, he would marry Mary and live a good life. First Tyg went to Temple Demus an old abandoned church on a hilltop. It was surrounded by dead trees and the roof had long since worn away. Tig approached the door with the weight of the dead body aching his shoulders and the foul stench of rot in his nostrils. The door, however, was locked. Well, I can't bury the corpse here if I can't get into the church, he said. Look for the key, Tig again came a hoarse, emotionless voice. Who said that? said Tyg, turning quickly. It is I. The corpse on your back. You can talk. Sometimes. Tyg reached the top of the doorway and found an old, rusty key. He forced it into the lock, turned, and the old, creaky door gave way. Inside the church there were several undisturbed graves. Quick, Tyg, there is a shovel. Bury me there. The withered, rotting hand of the dead man pointed to the centre grave. With the corpse still on his back, Tyg began to dig. After a few feet, Tyg discovered there was indeed already a body buried there. Well, I don't know what I expected, he thought to himself. The body in the grave stood up. Away, away from here. Or it is you who will be the dead man. Tig dropped the spade, and the body dropped back into the grave, and Tigo Cain ran from Temple Demus. Carry God, Vicorus, said the corpse on his back. Tig kept walking. The clear, beautiful night had turned to a wet and miserable one, as nights in Ireland often do and he trudged through damp fields and muck until he reached the second churchyard. But as he approached, 
Tyg saw a terrible sight. It must have been hundreds of ghosts, pale, blue, translucent, and terrifying. They swirled and danced in the sky over the graveyard, and as Tyg attempted to move his feet closer, the ghosts swooped down to the ground to block his way. They did not speak. The ghosts merely formed a horrifying wall, and Tygo Kane got the message. Further on, Tyg walked, his lower back and knees straining under the weight of the corpse. At Temple Ronan, there were no swirling ghosts or jack-in-the-box dead bodies. Tyg's heart almost began to settle when he tripped and landed on the overgrown grass of the decaying graveyard. Before he could pull himself back up, something gripped his neck and his arms and his legs and choked and bruised him. Tyg thought that this was it. He had failed. He was a dead man. But no, this again was another warning. The grip loosened. Tyg rose, and the corpse on his back said, Imlog, father. This was the longest walk of all. Tyg prayed for sweet relief, but he knew none would come, and he would never again be at peace if he failed. Imlog, father, was no church or even graveyard. It was more of a pile of stones. Quick, bury me there, said the corpse. Do you really want to be buried beneath rocks like that? Tyg asked, but the corpse did not answer. The recovering rover began to toss rocks aside to make room for the dead man, when a brilliant bolt of lightning struck the grave and lit up the sky. Tyg felt a hallucination worse than the worst of his nights on the drink. And as Imlog father went up in flames, Tyg said to the corpse, I know, I know, Kilbrija. That is the last sight. If you cannot be buried there, I have truly failed. Kilbredia was a tiny chapel with a small yard. The weary, shook, and bruised Tygo Cain reached the graves. No bodies, no ghosts, no hands in the ground, had no psychedelic lightning. Instead, an open grave. Tyg looked down and saw there was a coffin already there. He climbed into the dirt and pried open the lid. Sure enough, there was no body inside. The corpse around his neck finally loosened his grasp and with a mighty thud landed into the coffin, home and at rest at last. Tygo Cain closed the coffin lid, climbed out and with his hands filled in the grave. He took his time to pat down and smooth over the dirt, so it looked completely at peace. Tyg left Kilbridge and felt the relief from the corpse and from his task. He watched the sun rise as he never had before. He had seen it many times coming home drunk, but never had he looked upon the rising sun truly as a new beginning. He had walked twenty-six miles that night, and so it would be some time before he returned home. Instead, Tyg went to an inn and slept from morning until night before returning home the following morning. Missing for two days, Tygo Cain's father had thought his son was gone. He was overjoyed to see him and regretted the things he had said to him, but Tyg told him he was a changed man. He stopped gambling. He drank less. 
And two weeks later, he and Mary were married. And the real question is, was any of it real? Of course, the events happened. But was it corpses and ghosts that haunted Tygo Cain? Or were they all illusions? Pishoaks? Fairy spells to teach the lad a lesson? Whatever the case, as it usually does with the other folk, it bloody well worked. The end. Is AI taking over? How can I be safe online? Will big tech go bust? For tech's sake, we'll answer all of these questions and more in its new series. I'm Elaine Burke. And I'm Jenny Darmody. And we're back with more experts to help you be a more informed and empowered tech user. For tech's sake is a co-production from Silicon Republic and the Headstuff Podcast Network. And that is the tale of the corpse on Fireside. I hope you all enjoyed it. I loved this story. Um, it jumped immediately off the page when I found it and I had a huge amount of joy writing my own version of it. I think what initially drew me to it is, um, so it's one of uh, Douglas Hyde's stories, who, for those who may not know, is just an absolute uh, legend in Ireland. He was uh, the president of the Gaelic League um, and one of the major, one of the founding members of the Gaelic Revival um, from the late 1800s and the early 1900s. A huge amount of the resurrection of Irish heritage and culture comes through Douglas Hyde. And he also served as the very first president of Ireland um, when we became our own nation. And just an incredibly influential figure and a huge, huge folklorist. Um, and I almost certainly have done some of his other stories before, but he was a very devoted Irish speaker. And this story was one he collected through the Irish language. And in the WB Yeats book of fairy and folk tales, it had never been printed before, were in English, which a lot of the stories in his collections had been, uh, whether they be William Carton or T. Crofton Croker or Lady Wilde, any of the other kind of acclaimed folklorists. Usually they release many of these stories in their own editions and WBH just kind of put them all together in this one edition. But it is exciting that there are some that were never printed at all before, especially ones that had never been printed in the English language, wouldn't have been translated. There seems a real like primary and primal and very authentic nature to them. So that was what drew me to it immediately, and that's why I included the one uh, line in Irish there as well. There was other sections that he kept in Irish, um, but they were they were much longer and um, just seemed a bit beyond my my fluency. Um, I felt like I would have been more stunted uh, doing them um, than for any Irish language speakers who say I felt it would have been uh, very jarring for them. Um, so I just kept the little touch of it. But but another thing that immediately kind of grabbed me about this story is that it reminded me a huge amount of one of my favorite stories we've ever done on Fireside in one of the very earliest episodes of the podcast, which is The Man Who Had No Story, which was all the way back in episode five. And incidentally, that was also a trooping fairy tale. 
Um, so we have your trooping fairies who travel in the groups, and then you have your solitary fairies. So your solitary fairies are your leprechauns, your clericons, banshees, pukas. But the trooping fairies are more the red caps, the one kind of armies of people. And the Manu Adno story also featured a group of fairies carrying a dead body, which is quite unusual, you know, and you don't often have uh, fairies as as cannibals or perhaps as grave diggers. It's unsure. But of course, with this tale, and Yates gives this in his introduction, he's like, is this a ghost story or is this a fairy tale? And he's of the opinion, and I agree, that this is definitely a fairy tale. These are not spirits and ghosts. These are all pishogs, as they're called. They're fairy spells to teach morality and kappa on into Tygo Cain. So the corpse itself, any of the cor- the corpses that jump out of graves, the ghosts in the sky, all of them are very powerful illusions by the other folk. And I loved the, how elaborate that was. It was a beefy tale as well. Like, I shortened some aspects of it. It was a long story, um, but still it, it felt like it had a real journey. I had considered shortening the amount of locations because uh, there are... It's not a rule of three with these. There are five possible graveyards that Tiger must carry the corpse to. Um, and so I thought about making it the magic three. But I just loved the difference. I loved the thing that happened at each of them. You know, you have the corpses popping out at the first one. You have the hundreds of ghosts in the sky, which remind me of the section of a Christmas carol we did for the Fireside Christmas special last year. You have the hands coming out of the ground and pulling and choking him. Uh, and you have the lightning and the fire in the in the fourth one. And then finally, you just have the grave that was ready for him. And some people might have gone, why didn't he just go to the fifth location first? Well, I believe it is definitely a journey. You get that from the fourth grave being the furthest away, that this is kind of a linear path, that he's walking past all of these anyway. This is the order that they come in. Um, and he's just trying to get his elf is back as quick as possible, literally. Um, and I loved, I loved that the corpse spoke, but only sometimes. Um, and also just the idea of, we've had a bit recently when we had the story of the lazy beauty as well. This is almost a parallel to that, um, where we have like a, a rover, a gambler, a womanizer, uh, very much there's a morality to this tale because that was very much a, a position and an often talked about in stories figure in Irish folklore and history is the idea of being a rover. Um, someone who will not settle, who will not work, who just wants to play sport and play cards and uh, shift young ones, as I said. Um, so I love the idea of any of these moral redemption stories when they have such humor as this. You know, because nothing, the, the only part that's uh, quite interesting in, in it is, uh, or like injury from a, an ethical point of view is, and I kept it, I kept that as it was written, that it got back to the father that he had ruined, the tiger ruined the character of a young woman in the village, um, which is vague. Um, is it simply, is it simply that they slept together? Uh, did she become pregnant? Um, but even just that, that gave me a real uh, sense of the time that these stories were collected in, the very different, darker Ireland in many ways. And I wanted to keep that because it, it, it still had such a potency of the idea of such acts 
being considered to ruin someone's character, particularly for women. Um, and thankfully, we've come a long way since then. But you you have the essence there of what the pre-Irish state, the pre-modern Irish state was like. And really, and most of the modern Irish state, to be honest, it's a much more recent thing that we're moving away from that. But yeah, I wanted to to keep that because that really stuck stuck in my gut. Um, and we have like, we have, it's, it's interesting that it includes that Ty did, or he at least claimed to have the intention to marry this girl. But... In a very, in a very typical not wanting to settle kind of way, it's like, yeah, I'm sure I'll want to settle. It's like, no, you either want to or you don't. It's almost like I would have considered it being in a complete 180 turn where Ty had no intention of it until the encounter with the fairies. But it's more like he's just dragging his feet, and so that's when the fairies need to move in. And you wonder, like, do they? When they live in these areas, they live under hills, over hills, they're hearing everything. Do they just pick out as like, yeah, him, let's let's mess with that guy. You know, he's living a bad life. Because ultimately, fairies don't care about us. They don't care about morality. Um, they just want to get one over on us. So they're either fecking us over or trying to help. But even when they're trying to help, it is still punishment. And so that's what's interesting. It's like, there's no, they don't care about the, the good moral of the situation. They just want to punish this guy because he's been living outside a station or whatever. And my God, it works. Um, but yeah, I look forward to hearing any of your thoughts on this. Um, this was a really, really fun and wonderful tale to do. I'm delighted I found it. Uh, and delighted that my voice lasted-ish uh, for this tale. The little bit of rasp is uh, a little bit of hoarseness is is good, of course, uh, but you don't want too much. You don't want to get too laryngitisy. So I'm going to wrap things up. And uh, next week, um, exciting. We will have our world tale next week, and we're going to have something that I actually hadn't considered doing, considering it's as massively influential a in mythology as it is. But I hadn't found the store one story that I was going that jumped out at me. Um, but I found that, and we are dipping into Egyptian mythology next week with a tale with the tale of Isis and Osiris, and it's a wonderful tale. It's one of the most important stories in Egyptian mythology, um, and it was lovely to return to that world because I had a huge amount of of love for Egyptian mythology when I was younger, but it didn't translate to adulthood in the same way that the Greeks and the Norse and, of course, the, the Celtic mythology stayed with me. So it was lovely to to revisit that. And when we've covered, you know, Arabian folklore and West African mythology and German folklore and we've been covering the really heavy hitters of world mythology, it seems like it would be a real um, a mis- or misstep or no, uh, like a real missed opportunity um, to not do. It's like I couldn't not cover at least one story from Egyptian mythology as I'm doing these samplings of other world cultures. Um, So I look forward to sharing that with you. I'll see you all. You'll hear me all next time. And remember, wherever you are. Oh, yeah. And of course, follow me over on Instagram. Share this on your story. Share this with your friends. Buy my book, Garden Sea and Myth of Home, paperback or Kindle version. Support me at Headstuff Plus in the podcast. All the links in the description below. Um, I'll see you all. You'll hear me all next time. Remember, wherever you are and wherever you go, you can always join me by the fireside. 
This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. 